Okay. Alright. And here we go. Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Today's weather turned out to be less of a mess than was predicted, but um, joining us now with advice on how to deal with some of the problems we can expect in the near future, the, the rain and the snow, are Lawrence and Alvin U. Bell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn. Over the years, they've inspired millions of hesitant do-it-yourselfers to take repairs into their own hands. Alvin served as the household hints and safety editor with Family Circle magazine for over two decades. He was a regular on ABC TV's Good Morning America for five years and also on ABC's talk radio network for five years. And his son, Lawrence, is the company's president and chief inspector. They join us now to offer their expert advice to you, our listeners, and we invite you to call us with your questions at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Alan Larry, welcome back to our show. It's nice to be well, back. It's delicious to be here. <laughs> now, keeping homes warm has become a news story. Beyond using supplemental heat sources, what are the most sensible ways to keep our homes warm and, and avoid the sorts of things that we've been seeing, the fires and such? Well, the idea is you have to understand what uh, what heat is and, and, and what it isn't. Uh, and the thing that keeps us warm is two, two, two elements. First is the barometric, uh, the uh, three elements: the barometric pressure, the relative humidity, and the amount of of heat that's in your living space. And uh, you can you can change the relative humidity, the uh, barometric pressure, but you can change the uh, relative humidity by maybe putting a tea kettle up on a stove and bringing it up to a boiling point and let the steam raise the the relative humidity in the atmosphere of your home. If you could bring that... But, 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 but you say you could... But you don't want to bring it to a boil because... You bring the tea kettle to a boil oh. and let the steam come out. And if, when you, you could actually almost... In a few moments in that space, well, it would probably be in the kitchen, in that space, all of a sudden you'll feel more comfortable of what makes you cold is the moisture of your body that is being uh, converted to a gas. And that, as that happens, your body seems to be colder than it actually is. And that's what really takes place. But the, the, uh, the water's going to boil down, and we, uh, we have to be careful, don't we? We shouldn't yeah, leave the kettle unattended. You've got to wash that tea kettle and keep adding water to it on a regular basis. But that's, uh, that is really the best thing that one can do that is relatively safe rather than having uh, uh, an unattended, uh, sometimes certain types of heaters you've got to be very careful for. And also, to not use the stove itself, especially if it's a gas stove, to try to heat your house. That's just an exercise in futility. It doesn't work that well, but uh, people have to be careful about that. Well, I also have to say, well, I, I do want to jump in here a moment. Sure, go that, ahead, Larry. You know, there are a couple of things that, you know, you have to bring in, which is how much control do you have over the heating process of your space, whether you're a homeowner or you're a apartment dweller or a renter. You know, these are all different factors that can uh, contribute. Like, for instance, if you're a homeowner, you know, obviously, just turning up the thermostat, or if your if your uh, heating system is undersized, there are other things that you can do, like putting uh, if you have a freestanding radiator, putting uh, aluminum foil behind the radiator to reflect more of the heat back into the room, putting um, either plastic or actually blankets over windows to create a, a to to reduce the heat loss from windows. Windows are a substantial heat loss. They have next to no insulating value at all. Even if they're thermal pane, double insulated glass windows, they still have very low uh, 
insulating value. But don't we want to open the shades on the sunny side of our homes? If that's the case, but I'm thinking that most people have issues with heat at night. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, during the day, you know, the, you know, the warmth of the day helps out, generally speaking. But when we're talking about people getting really cold at night, that's when these things, you know, uh, play into effect. As far as, you know, people not, you know, we encourage people not to use ovens and stoves and things like that to make heat. But we also have to be practical that if you are, you know, in, if you're in a situation where there's no heat, you're not going to just sit there and freeze to death. So if you're going to do those things, by all means, do not use cooktop burners to create heat. And if you're going to use an oven for heat, at least leave the oven door closed. So that way it's basically just operating as an oven as if you were cooking a turkey or something else. So well, be smart. Of, yes. I just want to get back to your point about the thermostat. Um, yes. We should be uh, it's suggested we set it at around 68, no higher than 70, um, because w- what happens if we go higher? Is it just a matter of our electric bill? Electric or gas hmm. or just energy usage, and it puts more of a stress on the grid, whether it be gas or, or uh, electricity, but also you know, it creates more greenhouse gases. Even if you are using electric, even if you... You know, you have to know where you're getting your electricity from. If you're getting it from a renewable source, then it's less of a, you know, less of a carbon footprint. But if you're getting it from a source where they're using uh, fossil fuels to make electricity, it's, you know, like I say with my EV, my carbon footprint at the usage of my car is zero. But it's got to be somewhere else where I'm getting the electricity from. So those are the things you have to speak to as far as the temperature of the thermostat. But I think we're more speaking to people who are underheated hmm. or not getting heat at all and don't have a source because whatever reason the, the central system in their, in their dwelling unit is not working. And therefore, you know, if you're going to get electric space heaters, we encourage people to get the oil-filled type that, as opposed to the ones where you can actually see the electric coils, which, you know, are, can, can be more spontaneous can create more spontaneous combustion. Well, the, an electric heater was the cause of the horrific fire in the Bronx. Uh, in rentals, what are the responsibilities of landlords in keeping people's homes warm? Well, the, the landlord is responsible for keeping the heat and the building so that uh, they, the, the uh, occupants of the building have to be comfortable, particularly at night when the building has its most heat loss because the sun is not on the building any longer. This is a big problem. Most apartments, most apartments throughout the city of New York don't have thermostats in their mm-hmm. apartments. It is, that's usually regulated by the building itself, usually with what is known as an outside thermostat, which is set by the uh, superintendent or the stationary engineer of the building itself. And when, the, when you're feeling uncomfortable... The tenant has to complain. Some people are afraid to complain to the landlord because they think that he's the master of what's going on. No, complain. Complain to the uh, Department of Housing uh, and make sure that somebody comes around and checks the heat of that building, that you are comfortable. Because if you're not comfortable, you're going to do drastic things which could cause uh, terrible things into the building itself and jeopardizing the welfare of everybody else in that building. Well, okay, so we we had this the terrible fire in the Bronx caused by an electric heater. So how do we know what is a safe electric heater? Well, uh, electric heater, if you buy one, you got to make sure that it's UL listed. There's usually a label on that unit that's UL, uh, that UL listed. The thing is that... What, that uh, stands for you, Bell Larry? No, you... (laughs) (laughs) you, uh, Underwriters Laboratory listed. Uh, That's what UL stands for. And that means that that uh, particular heating unit had been checked out by the uh, Underwriters Laboratory to make sure that it runs safely, that it has a tip-over safety switch, that it has a, uh, what do you call it, cutoff high temperature limit switch, also has a device in it that if it goes to a temperature that could be dangerous, 
it shuts the unit down automatically. And make sure, and if it makes noise, that's, once, or, once or an odor, that's an issue? Yeah, that's an issue. If, you, if your uh, uh, electric heater starts making noise, that means probably the, motor, the fan motor inside the unit is chasing against something, and that could cause a problem with its dispu- uh, the, uh, the separation of the heat in, from the unit into the apartment. And if it has an odor to it, that means maybe the insulation someplace inside the unit is overheated, and that's the time to get rid of that unit. We invite our listeners to call. Our number here is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Larry, you were talking? Yeah, I do want to comment on the, on, the, on the horrific fire that occurred in the Bronx and that we don't really have all the information. The, the preliminary information was that it was a space heater that had caused the, the fire, but we also know that water that that smoke migration that went through the hallways and we don't also know they they also talked about how maybe that apartment door the uh the the automatic uh locking the self-closing door wasn't working but we also don't know if the self-closing doors on the halls or on the fire stairs were working so even if the even if the door in the hall itself was not worked for the apartment was not working well the ones for the fire stairs should have still been working and stopped the, the smoke from getting into the fire stairs so there's a lot into this investigation that we have to find out um, and there's even as, less known about the gas explosion that caused a, a, another major fire in the Bronx just the other day yeah so there's you know these investigations do take a while and so I don't think we actually, you know, should just blame a particular thing at this point since it's a preliminary point. But my more important is the fact that probably people don't have enough smoke detectors in their in their units uh, because there should be a photoelectric smoke detector yeah. in every sleeping area, and and uh, that it would probably save more lives than anything else because you know early alert. To what's happening in your in your building and in your apartment is is one of the most uh, important factors to saving lives. Some people and hate think, them because uh, they go off whenever they cook anything. Well, that's because that's correct because that is a because they should not be in kitchens or they shouldn't be anywhere near a kitchen because a kitchen's supposed to have smoke. It's a kitchen, okay? It's supposed to be in the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. In the bedrooms, you won't get a smoke detector going off <laughs> from cooking if it's in the bedroom. The second thing is is that we also know that ionization smoke detectors have have nuisance alerts from from uh, burning food. Or, or, or burnt toast and that sort of thing because it's very susceptible to that. On the other hand, those same smoke detectors will not go off when there's a real smoldering fire from, with, which has large particulates, which is very poisonous to human beings. So photoelectric smoke detectors, don't put them in the kitchen. Put them in the, be- put them in the bedrooms. And if you do want to have a level of safety in your kitchen, put in a fire sensor or a fire detector or a fire alarm. That, te- that senses heat, not smoke. And so those are the things you do to protect yourself. But, I, but knocking the smoke detector off the ceiling because it goes off when you're doing your stir fry is not the way to go. My guests on today's Leonard Lopate at Large are Alvin and Lawrence Ubell. And uh, we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. You say um, that if window drapes or papers are blowing around, it's a sign that the frames are loose and uh, don't fit properly. Uh, What should we do to overcome that problem? Well, if a window does, first of all, there's a latch usually, especially with double hung windows. If there's a latch at the center portion, at night, you should lock those things down that the window is least tight. If, there, uh, if, a, if, if a window pane is broken and has a hole in it, that you've got to get the landlord. Mm. And, you, and don't be afraid to call uh, 911 to complain about a broken window or opening window that is drafty. Don't be afraid to contact the, the buildings department, the housing department. 
these are agencies that help people and prevent people from hurting themselves and their family. They let me let me interject, like, Alvin. You meant three one one. Three. I'm sorry, I apologize. Well, nine one one. Three one one is very good, and they'll tell you whether you should call nine one. Nine one one is a direct emergency. You're correct. Thank you. I'm sorry about that. But not a problem. But I find that many tenants are afraid to call these city agencies. For God's sake, don't be afraid. They are your agents. You pay taxes for them to prevent people from killing themselves and their family. Let's take some calls, okay? Again, the number 212-209-2877. BAI, you're on the air. Yes, good afternoon. You know, I, it's so apropos that you have this particular uh, subject that you're covering currently. Uh, New Yorkers pay three $2,000 a month for three rooms, you know, and many times high-rises, the, the, uh, the apartments are cool, even though it's 71 degrees in the, uh, in the apartment, because I have friends who will complain if there's a problem. Um, the gentleman that you have on, one of them says, spoke about putting blankets over the windows of plastic. I think that's creative. Can you give us any other Or, or, or newspaper? Is that a good idea as well? Well, you well, do no. want to well, have something that has at least a insulating factor to it. So newspaper is not so much because, I mean, if, think about it. If you wrapped yourself in a newspaper, how warm would it keep you? I mean, unless you're going to wear the whole Sunday edition. Um, is there but anything as, that you could grout with? Say that again? Is there anything that you could grout the, the window um, openings? Because sometimes there's like little cracks around. Yeah, I, I was going to mention this. Duct tape, duct tape is very effective as a temporary measure for sealing up any gaps or, or, um, or cracks that are in the window around the frames. I mean, if you really do want to go uh, a little bit more professional, you can go get a, a tube of caulk and caulk all the joints on the interior of the window. And also, if you have access to the exterior, not if you're six stories up, but if it's <laughs> ground level or it's outside of a terrace, you can, you know, you can caulk from the outside. But I have to say, in a, as a stopgap method, you know, duct tape is pretty effective at stopping airflow. We also have to realize there are two types of things. There's heat flow and there's airflow. Okay, like insulation is a retains is a is a thermal barrier where uh, where plastic or duct duct tape or caulk would be an air barrier. So if you stuff insulation into a crack, that's not going to stop the airflow. It may stop the heat from moving, but it's not going to stop the air. And pretty soon that insulation will act like a filter, just filtering the air that goes through it. But the air will still go straight through. So you have to have you have to take in consideration there is airflow and there's heat flow and you have to deal with either thermal barriers or air barriers. And you recommend uh, duct tape up as a stopgap method right now in the middle of the winter where air might be coming through a window to seal up. Sometimes, like my father said, locking the the latch between the upper and lower sash on a double hung window is very effective. But if you can't, but if they don't match up, and a lot of times they don't, I do a lot of inspections where windows do not match up where the upper and lower sash connect. Put some duct tape between the upper and lower at the joint of the upper upper and lower sash meet, and that will stop some of the airflow. Okay, caller, is there something you want to add to that? Oh, she's gone. Okay, let's take another call. Again, our number 212-209-2877. BAI, you're on the air. Good afternoon, gentlemen. This is Rose from Flemington, New Jersey. I happen to live in a very drafty building, and I've got a couple of real good suggestions. One are space blankets. There were, you can order them online, a big package of them. I put it under the, the mattress pad in my bed, or if you can't stand the crinkling sound, put it between the mattress and the box spring. The other thing that I've been a great fan for many years is weather stripping. Uh, in the bad old days, I used to use that kind of itchy stuff. Um, it was a woolly, woolly kind of product. With a, you know, I stapled that around my windows in New York. Uh, out here, I've found that they have these foam weather strippings in many different contours and thicknesses. Mm-hmm. You can put it in the tracks on the side and across the bottom. 
there's all sorts of wonderful things you can stuff. And I have wall-to-wall drapes in both my mm-hmm. living room and my bedroom. Some of them double. Because if you have two surface, two things a couple of inches apart, it will be as warm as a blanket. I agree. That will, all those things, all those that things will, are very beneficial. Yeah, That's also, too, about, about moisture. Um, most apartments have about 17% uh, humidity, and it, it dries you out. Uh, if you can't, if you don't have the kind of uh, uh, radiator where you can put a, a container of water on top of it, you can put a bowl of water in front of one of those vents that comes out of the floor. Mm, I have that's used, true, too. But you've got to be very, very careful. I have used a crock pot in my bedroom for years. As soon as the weather, you know, I call it sinus weather, I put the crock pot on, but I always leave a, a container in my bathroom sink. So I'm re- reminded in the morning to turn it off and put some more water mm-hmm. in. So, I, you know, we don't have a fire when you're out. I mean, I, I, exactly. I think most crock pots do, self, they do stop themselves immediately. But a bowl of water is very good. Pets like it, too. So that's okay. my question. Well, Have a great thank day. you so Thanks much. For being there. We love your show. We love when you come on. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The thing about a, a newspaper, what I find is with two kinds of windows, that you have double-hung windows, and then you have the casement windows, which act like almost like a door or sliding or sliding windows. The thing is that if you roll up the newspaper into like a tube or something like that and you can put it on the windows in the groove of the windowsill on the bottom and then just pull the window down onto the paper, a roll of paper, or put it into the uh, opening on the where the two uh, windows come together on the casement windows. And you could also put that paper... When you have what they call the sliding windows, where they lock together, but put it at those joints, that's where most of the air, ventil- yeah. air ventilation or the leakage of the cold air coming into the building and, and, and absorbing the heat that's inside the apartment or the building. I'm also going to say, I just want to uh, chime in on one thing that lately I found I've been doing a lot of inspections of apartments where they are, where the apartments themselves have quite a bit of glass, big windows Mm. on a particular wall of a building, of of an apartment, and then the people are complaining that they don't have enough heat because uh, that large portion of glass window is such a heat loss that during cold weather, the heating equipment that's installed cannot compensate for that heat loss. That's why in many of those same uh, many of those same buildings are in other buildings. They put an auxiliary resistance heating in the floor, an electric radiator, if you will, in the floor, and that will provide an additional heat. So that's why... What about Venetian blinds, Larry? I, any barrier, like the woman was saying, any barrier that creates another air, an air gap or an air space, a dead air space, will do it. Venetian blinds will will have some benefit, as will some of these new uh, solar co- uh, uh, honeycomb uh, shades that you know that have you know air gaps in them. All of those will add a certain additional insulating factor, additional to the window itself. Because, like I said before, glass glass does two things very badly: insulate and protect. <laughs> It does one thing really good. You can see through it. Um, so, so for that benefit of seeing through it, we, we give up the We pay energy. a price. We pay a price by security and insulation. So what do we do to make up for those things? Well, we put curtains and blinds and shades. And I was just using the example of blankets and towels because in, um, you know, in a situation where, you're, where it's very cold, and you want something to warm up the room so you can at least get somewhat comfortable, uh, that would work to just hang those things over those window openings. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Great, great. Hello. Uh, hi. 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 You can hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. I had uh, two, two issues, and this is regarding a townhouse that has, like, you know, uh, old piping. Uh, and the plumber had said, like, any, any changes on piping now have to be, you know, from lead to copper. Is that something new? 
that they're requiring, the city is requiring? That was well, one question. I'm sorry, I need to ask that one question. What piping in your house is lead? Uh, okay. Hello? Yeah, she's I'm looking. I'm not sure which one it was for, but it, um, uh, it was supposed to be a connection uh, to the, not the sewer. It was just a regular water Oh, pipe. you're talking about the water main? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, that, um, well, that, I'm going to say a I'm going to say a couple of things about that. If you have a lead water main, um, before you, if he's trying to talk you into a new water main, which will probably cost you somewhere between ten and twenty thousand uh, dollars. Okay. Well, what's he saying it's going to cost? Uh, oh, it's going to be like less than than five thousand dollars. Well, see, um, again, uh, specifics, you know, would be helpful. Um, okay. But is this a rent of? I have another question. Okay. Sure, go ahead. Uh, uh, she couldn't find uh, the owner couldn't find the shut off valve, and um, and I'm I want to know I'm looking around too, uh, but um, where is, is going to be in the basement a, a likely location uh, for the shut off? Oh, of the water main sh of the water main shut off. Right. Yes. It would be toward the front of the building, wherever the street come wherever the the the, the building faces the street. It will be it'll be along that wall, and in most cases. Two telltale signs. There'll be an, a water meter attached to it. You, I'm assuming, and then the other thing is there probably will be an electrical wire clamp, clamp to the pipe that comes through the foundation. And so, if you see an electric clamp with a wire connected to it, that's that's the grounding or earthing clamp, and which 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 grounds the electrical system to the water main, or there's a water meter attached to it. Okay, and that's the other a water meter. And there are a lot of different shapes for it, but you can tell it's a meter. And, if you know, it'll have numbers and dials and things like that. And if there's a water meter attached to it, that's the water main. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. No problem. And we thank you for your call and uh, remind you that you're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. And we are taking your calls at and Alvin Ubell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn, New York, regulars on our program as well. And they come by to uh, talk about the, the all sorts of different issues, how-to issues and home repair issues. And today we're talking a lot about heating because of the, uh, the, the weather. Although it was predicted to be a lot worse than it is, um, we can expect some pretty awful weather in the near future. And we're taking your calls at 212-209-2877. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. 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 Yes, hi. Yes. Am I on? You are. Okay. This is a safety call about uh, a heater. This has to do with the plug. Mm -hmm. The plug seems to have been fried. I think it was pulled out by accident by a chair sort of pushing the meter. The, 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 the heater works fine. It turns off automatically all the conditions that you gave in the beginning of the safety heaters. But the plug where the, where the wires come in are fried. 
We are afraid to stick it back in. I don't think it should be. I think it needs to be cut off there and repaired. It's a two-pronged plug. It doesn't have a ground on it. What's your opinion once the plug is applied? If we cut it off and we... Well, it depends upon the heater itself. It depends upon the vintage of the heater. If it's a very old unit, it probably has its only a two-wire system where it only touches it only connects to what they call the neutral and the hot lead. Uh, with the newer ones, they have to be grounded, which is a third wire that connects to the chassis of the heater itself and then also connects to the ground of the electrical system in the building. Uh, as far as uh, a plug that doesn't work or doesn't fit, uh, it does, it, it, those are easy to be replaceable, but you... Uh, if you go to our website and go to Fixing Electrical Devices, it has this, a big section of, a, of, our, of the book I wrote called, called uh, <clears throat> Recipes for Home Repair Electrical System. It will tell you how to replace a, uh, a wired plug, whether it be a two-wire system or whether it be a three-wire system. Let me, let me just so, so wait, wait. Here. So how does let she me, get – wait, how does she get that? How does she access that? She goes if to. She logs in, if she logs into uh, uh, Accurate Building Inspectors website and looks on the okay. on the publications, she'll see uh, the book recipes for home repair and, and that look for that section. There'll be uh, how to replace an electrical plug. Okay, well, uh, let me well, just, but let but me but, just, but before before you go on, how much do do new electric heaters cost? Wouldn't it be just safer if you can afford it to to get a, a brand new one? Well, as far as electric, they they run from like uh, depends upon how small they are and how large they are. They run from twenty dollars up to twenty dollars a unit, and up to about fifty to a hundred dollars a mm-hmm. unit. Depends upon the size of it and how many devices they have on it. Uh, it it uh, and uh, if you go there, there are so many different brands and so many different styles and so many different units. I bought uh, a small electrical heater just for my bathroom because when I take a shower or something like that, you get out of the shower, it's, it's freezing in my bathroom. Hmm. So I bought a small electrical heater that has a three-prong connection that works very, very well. But I do okay, want to I, jump in here. If, if, let me just jump in here and try to help you out here and give you some practical information. Yes, you can change the, uh, the plug. You can go to any hardware store or home center and buy a replacement two-prong, or even if you buy a three-prong plug, you just don't connect the third prong. But the important thing about rewiring it is knowing the polarity of the, of the device. And a lot of times, if you, if you do cut off the plug, you might actually, or you look at the wire, there may be an indicator on one of the wires, or one of the wires may be white or black, if, it's the, if you do have the white and black orientation, the black wire gets connected to the blade that is the smaller blade that goes into the smaller hole of the, out, of the receptacle, and the white wire gets connected to the blade that's a little wider that goes into the wider hole, the wider slot of the receptacle. So it's important. You're getting very political here, Larry. Yes, and the, and you also there's on on the uh, wire itself. There's sometimes a tracer line on the wire to indicate which is the uh, which is the hot leg and which is the neutral leg. So you do have to do a little bit because if you hopefully it's a newer unit uh, and it's double insulated, so where polarity may not matter as much. But it's important. But what happens if you put it on the wrong ones? Do you want to blowing fuses? No, you may end up with a situation that when the unit is not operating, that if there's metal on the unit, that could actually cause an electric shock. So it's important to know what you're doing. And so that's why we do encourage, you know, people to try to do repairs because, you know, there is a whole right to repair uh, movement in this country. On the other hand, if you don't know what you're doing, buying a new heater may be the the safest and best course of action. Okay, caller. And I I want to ask the, a, a clarification in one of the statements. This has to do yes. with the polarities, and it has to do with yes. the third prong. This is a no. two, two plug. Yeah, thing, no. But there was an indication by one of you that said that the that the grounding is embedded in one of those wires. I, I no, I that's not that. what I said. 
that's not what I said. What I said was that even if you buy a, a, a plug that has three wires on it, you just don't use the grounding wire. You just connect to the two blades, the two flat blades that go into the receptacle. And isn't it important to have that grounding wire used? If it's not, no. There are many uh, electrical equipments, w which are what we call double-grounded, uh, double-insulated equipment. Many of my electrical tools only have two wires to them. Uh, they're, not, they're not designed to be grounded because they're double-insulated. And if that's the kind of device you have, then using a two-wire, uh, if it wasn't made with a two, uh, if it was designed with a two-wire receptacle, a two-wire plug, then it can still have a two-wire plug. You don't need the grounding wire. Okay, well, thank if, you. If, but if there is, but if there is a grounding wire coming from the unit, it'll probably be green to color, and that means it goes to ground. Which is which but she but, but she already but she already said it was a two she already said it was just a yeah but but for plug. other people Larry there are other, other listeners people. well <laughs> that, other that's, that's if you have in fact if you go into recipes for home repair and the, gives you the indication it mentions the three kinds of wires that you may be uh, uh, observed it's a black wire a white wire and a green wire the white wire as uh, Lars indicated is the neutral. The black wire is the hot leg, which is where the power is coming from the utility company, and the green wire is for the grounding of it, so as to make it safe. And we now have, uh, in all new construction, everything is three wire. But if it's an old building and everything else, in most instances, it's only a two wire system, which you have to make a differentiation uh, when you put it all together. Okay, thank you for your call. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. 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 Are you there? Mr. Lopez. Yes, hi. Yes, how are you doing? Happy New Year to you, man. Thank you. <laughs> okay. First, I just want to say, man, that, that the situation with the fire in the Bronx, that happened because people, they don't know about certain appliances to use. That space, those space heaters, those are the old-fashioned ones that have those, 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 those claws that get red hot like a toaster. Those things are essentially toasters. They're, they're extremely dangerous. They came out like in the 50s, 40s, and 50s. But the people who lived in that building were poor. I'm not surprised that they didn't have the state-of-the-art equipment. Yeah, but then again, they have, they have the newer ones um, that have this have like the wires. They like you know they have like you know they they just get they just get hot the ones you just plug in. Mm -hmm. They could have gotten those. I stay in Parkchester. Um, <clears throat> they were built in the 30s and 40s, and they have we have the um, the old school things like the, um, the steam tower. It's like like 15 stories high. And um, the problem is that the heat is extremely. Um, Seller here. Only problem is, you know, it just gets too hot sometimes. You have to open the window. I wish that, you know, when the um, the PPC they renovated um, the North and South condominium back in 2000, they gave us new windows, um, new faucets, sink heads, and stuff. I really wish that they they they, they would they convert the heating systems to electric, like some of the modern buildings that you know you can, you know, you could just switch a knob and adjust the heat. And since they had to have um. HVAC too. They have, an, they have an AC apparatus too. That's um. That's what I wish they would they, they would have done. Okay. Well, thank yeah, you. Not, thank you. That that's really you, important you have, information. Go ahead, Al. Larry. Do you have a question for yourself? Okay, he's Hello? gone. He's gone. But okay. let let me remind people that my guests are Alvin and Lawrence U. Bell, and as Alvin has pointed out, he has a book uh, that is available. Uh, not only online, but from all of the, the places you can buy books online, called Recipes for Home Repair, which he wrote with Sam Bittman. And um, we are taking your calls at 212-209-2877. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. BAI, you're on the air. Hi, it's Russell. It's an honor to speak to Alan Larry. I have a question about... But how not me. Make... I'm chopped liver. Is that it? Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I have a question. 
I have a question on how to make those fire doors work if they're not closing properly. Uh, do the fellas know of a 1970s vintage, these self-closing doors probably have hinges with the spring inside, and they're activated with a pin that goes into different slots to make it close better or not. Why That's didn't right. they make these things? Why didn't they make these things tamper-proof? And do you think when they're criticizing Mayor Adams for having a close-the-door PSA, that that, that criticism, it, lo it doesn't locate personal responsibility in the people most affected by a fire, and it, it creates learned helplessness. People can fix these doors themselves. Thank you very much. Well, no, I, 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 okay. I, I, you know, you know fix, fixing a door is really somewhat complicated because the things that can happen for a door that prevents it from closing is generally sometimes what, the what screws happened? that hold the hinges in place are loose, loose, or maybe some settlement of the building itself, which changes the frame of the of the building at the door area, and then you have the door that that jams into the frame, or the or the or the door stops, or the saddles, the the, uh, uh, the uh, marble or stone section on the floor area, or the upper section of the door. There are so many things that stop a door from opening and closing in a proper manner. When the building was new, everything works wonderful, but on time and 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 use, also what stops the door from closing is over the years. The painting of the of the door frames over and over again builds up the paint level that prevents the door from closing properly. These are so you many know, things that happen that cause a door not to close. Okay, you let's know, say I, go ahead, Al. And it's Larry. Also, I also it's also how it's also how much do people know what's supposed to be happening? Do they know that these are supposed to be self-closing doors, or do they think that when it stops self-closing, yeah. that that kind of helps them when they want to run in and out of the apartment? So mm -hmm. there's also a certain Absolutely. amount of education and knowledge, which is important to people to know that these doors are supposed to self-close and self-close fully each time that the door is opened and closed. So there's, there's a lot going on. It's not as simple as teaching people for self you know, for self-responsibility, it's actually just having the, the knowledge and wherewithal to do it. And many so of the people involved uh, were, were immigrants who probably didn't even um, have a, a, a good command of English, so they might not have even been aware of those things. Should we yeah, take another? Should we take another call? Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Good afternoon. Um, thanks for taking my call. Of course. My house is, is, is a new house. It's a sandy rebuilt house. And what do you think of heating vents being placed in the ceiling instead of near the floor? My head is hot and my feet are cold. Any suggestions? <laughs> yes, and this is something... Uh, well, wear good socks. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, But I, I have to say, let me ask you one question. Does this, does this house also have air conditioning? It's all in one. Right. And so I, yeah, I, this, yes, this is an issue that I have been dealing with for many years now, that um, the problem is, is that people were actually builders and uh, architects and engineers figure it's cheaper to put in one set, one system of heating and air conditioning with one set of ductwork. But the unfortunate part is everything you do for heating, you do 180 degrees opposite for cooling. You heat from above, you heat from down below, but you air condition from above. You heat from the perimeter of the building, but you air condition from the core of the building. So, so it seems to be that many of the uh, builders and developers decide that we're going to err on the side of air conditioning and not heating, which is fu fundamentally puzzling to me because here in New York City, we tend to heat for six, seven months where we only air condition for three, four, or five months. So we're actually putting all the emphasis on a system that we use a lot less. I agree with you. The only thing that you can really do is have someone come in and extend the ductwork to the floor. And that would be the only way to get heating down there. That's why radiators are always on the floor, and uh, because you want the heat to start low. And so the other issue is to 
is to put in, um, uh, you know, some kind of diverter system where it will shoot the, the air right down to the floor. But those are highly ineffective in most cases. It really is a problem. You're not the only person who complains about this. And it's just a way of, of uh, builders and developers monetizing uh, the system and putting in less, uh, less effective systems and seem to concentrate on air conditioning only. We have time, I think, for more, one more call or so. You want to say, add something, Al? Oh. Say that again? How could the building department okay that kind of a plan? Because that do, because those issues are not code issues. Hmm. Okay, so you're suggesting someone cut the wall, divert the vents to the, towards the floor. Right, and what you would end up with is a vent on the ceiling and a vent on the floor. So in the winter uh-huh. time, you would close the vent on the ceiling. And in the summertime, you would close the vent on the floor. Thank you for your call. I'm going to try to sneak another call in here. Hi. And can you make it quick, please? Yes, hi. Um, I have a really good form of insulation for the windows. Mm -hmm. I use foam core. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, that will work also because uh, of that. It works in the summer and the winter. The winter, I don't really use it, but it, it probably would be really good in the winter, especially the double-hung windows. You can buy a sheet, and then one fits on the top, one fits on the bottom. Yes, that and would probably add, I'm just going to say, uh, a double-inflated glass window has an, uh, an R value of only R2, which is considering the number starts at 1. That's not really great. Um, you know, uh, just to give context, a normal wall system has an R value of between, uh, between 11 and 15, and a roof system has an R value between 20 and 40. Um, so putting in that foam core will probably jump that R value up, probably about maybe double it to 4 or 5, which will definitely, re- which will definitely realize somewhat of a, uh, a difference in the space. Okay. And you can buy them at the dollar store, craft stores. They're um, pretty cheap. That's great. Uh, I, I would just like to put one thing in, in that those people who are desperate to heat up their homes or their apartments, whatever it is, we're, we're uh, saying together, I think, that don't use or buy what they call is units that ha- are fuel-consuming inside the apartment itself. Uh, fuel burning units need to be ventilated to the outside of the building. Using a ventil- non-ventilating uh, fuel burning unit inside of your apartment or your building will, will is one of the most dangerous things anyone can do. Stay and let's be specific. And let's be spe- Alvin. And let's be specific about that. Propane and kerosene. Do not use a propane or kerosene heater inside your dwelling unit. Absolutely. Okay, well, we have pretty much no time left, but I, we've been talking mostly, about, in fact, all about uh, inside the home. Uh, I do want to point out the, something that you've mentioned in the past, that all garden hoses need to be drained and, and brought indoors. If they're left outdoors, they'll burst from frozen ice expansion. So there are all sorts of other well, things that we could have addressed. <laughs> yeah, I did, want to, I did also want to get to sustainability but we haven't been on such a long time about the floods that we had in Queens and how all these basements flooded. I wanted to talk about that a little bit, too, maybe in the future. Uh-huh. Well, do you have a 30-second a, a thing you, you yeah. can say? I think that people have to realize, and whether, you know, people are living down there, which is obviously, you know, you can't do, but if you have a basement that has a, bath, that has a half bath, a toilet, a sink, or what have you, we have to, and, and it flooded over this last year. You have to think about putting in some kind of pumping system <coughs> that isolates the city sewer system from those appliances through the means of a check valve and a sewer ejector system, and that would actually stop it from ha- from reoccurring the next time that situation occurs. Because guarantee it will happen again, and so it's something to think about to try to make your space more sustainable, like we're doing in Staten Island by raising houses up by one story so they can still live in those areas. So you have to do, think of sustainability. 
and that should be basically the word of the next bunch of bunch of decades. Well, we can't raise houses up one story all over the city. No, no, that's why we're talking about putting in pumping systems. The problem they had in Queens is the sewers backed up because remember the sewer. Top of the sewer is the manhole covers, and if your bathroom is below that level and the sewers rise up to that level, the sewage is coming in through those lower fixtures like toilets, like shower bottoms, like sinks. Lawrence and Alvin Ubell are accurate building inspectors of Brooklyn and regular contributors to this show. And uh, as always, it's been a great pleasure having you on our show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having us. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more about one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as a podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. And you'll find links to uh, all of our over 600 past shows at LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you would like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to step up right now and support Leonard Lopate at Large so we can keep bringing you the kind of informative, in-depth interviews you've come to expect from us and and special shows like uh, the ones that we have with the U-Bells where where you can call in and and, um, speak to the experts yourself. So so please go online right now to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 to help keep Leonard Lopate at Large and W. WBAI on the air. Our listeners are our only source of income. And and one great way to show your support is to become a sustaining member of this station, what we call a BAI buddy. You can do it at $10, $15, $20, or whatever level you're comfortable with. And I want to expend a special thanks to Benjamin Jones of Jersey City, who has just become a BAI buddy for $100 a month. We really do appreciate that. Um, any amount uh, is, uh, is good, especially now since we are facing all sorts of um, problems as a result of cutbacks from the pandemic. People just uh, uh, have uh, money is a little too tight for many people. We, we've been uh, finding it hard to pay the rent on our, on our tower to the, the tower that we need to broadcast. So we're very grateful to people who've called in to help us with that. But um, again, that number is 212-209-2950, or you can go online to give to WBAI.org. Please do it now. Support the station, the station that depends 100% on our listeners. We don't take ads. We don't take grant money from anybody. So we are not indebted to anybody. We don't have to listen to anybody else. We're totally free radio. But please be sure to make that contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And thanks. We, we hope you'll join us again tomorrow when global economics correspondent for the New York Times, Peter S. Goodman, will discuss his new book, which is called Davos Man, How the Billionaires Devoured the World. We'll see you then.